everyone. Thank you for tuning into the Melanade Scenes podcast. I'm Tiara, and I'm here to give it to you straight up, raw, no filter. Let's get started. So, welcome to today's Melanade discussion. As a part of the Melanade Professional Series, we'll be talking with Chana to learn more about her career how she got there, and how you too can be a powerful melanated professional like Chana. So Chana, thank you so much for taking time out of your day, uh, all the way from Memphis, Tennessee. You ready to enlighten us? Yes, I'm ready. <laughs> Let's go. Let's go. So first and foremost, Chana, what is your job title? Yeah, my job title is program manager, specifically an intern program manager within student programs and Okay, so what does that mean? Like, break that down in layman's terms so people... Yes, yes. So what, the way I think about a program manager is that it is a person that is responsible for getting initiatives off the ground and overseeing them um, kind of from start to finish. So if I think about what my scope of work is, I'm, I'm with the intern program team, and that can mean lots of different things. The specific programs I manage are uh, making sure that our managers are ready for their intern to start. So that can be everything from do the managers have the right resources, do they have the right training, do they have the right materials, um, and also making sure that our interns are able to exit effectively within Amazon kind of guidelines and process. And so program managing that is really thinking about what are all the things that we need to do that um, and meet the goals that my team, my business, sets that uh, that deems those things successful. What are the milestones to get there? What's the time it's going to take? Who needs to be involved? And then my job is to make sure all of those different things take place so that we can get to a successful internship experience. Managers can feel prepared and our interns can exit in the way that I want them to. So I think being a program manager is just thinking about all the different pieces of a puzzle um, and aligning them and you're kind of the drum leader. So making sure you're looking at um, everything that needs to take place so that you can align them and get to the right goal. Cool. So can you give us a little background on like what it looks like to be in an intern program? So you said the man making sure the managers are ready for their interns to come in. Well, what does mm -hmm. intern even look like? I know when I was in college, people were like, oh, intern. And I was a psych major, but like the interning that I did was more to get hours than anything because certain things were not available. So I'm curious, like what the intern program looks like. I was an intern in college as well. And uh, while I had a professional internship um, that helped me get my start my career, I think the way people view internships has grown tremendously in the last decade. So in general, a company may define an internship in different ways, but it's a shared opportunity for a student to learn about work, um, and work could be for a specific industry, be it tech, be it retail, be it, you know, entertainment, for them to get practical work experience and for the company to get someone that could be featured talent for them to hire. Not every company um, uh, determines that it's their strategic uh, policy to like hire their interns as they finish their internship or if they're ready to graduate. Um, but lots of companies, especially in the tech space do. So interns end up being a strategic way to get talent into the business that's right out of college and early career and can hopefully contribute to the business over time. Um, so every company looks at intern programs differently. 
my company, um, we have a really large internship program. So the scale is really big. And so everything I do is looking at how can we create an experience for our interns, for our managers, for our business um, that work, knowing that we're going to hire really high volume. Whereas another company, they may have a small amount of interns, maybe it's a couple of interns. If you think about say like a small nonprofit, um, if you're thinking about uh, retail or the science industry, it could be a lot more, tech it could be a lot more. But for my company is how can we get the right experience that's customer focused um, to both the intern and the business, knowing that I can't personally engage with every intern that goes through the process. In fact, I won't meet most of the interns that go through the process. They may never know who I am, but I should be uh, someone in their background making sure the experience is occurring in the right way, regardless of whether they meet. Right, so I know this is not in the questions, but I'm just curious. Do you know like where someone who is in college or coming out of college and they wanna do an intern program with insert big tech company, where they look or what type of, yeah, what type of postings do they look for in order to get an internship with the company? Yeah, it's really important that um, people feel like it's really trite, especially now, but you really do have to start with the company's website. I mean, that's, that's the foundation of where you apply. You go out to the company's website, you submit your resume. Um, now what can be different depending on where someone is looking to intern is usually companies if they're a certain size are really active with the campus's career center. So they may be posting additionally to their own website through the campus career center. And that could be especially for a college student where they get more traction. Now um, universities and companies have different engagement depending on what the university is and what the company is. Um, if I, I'm working right now from Memphis. So if there's a small university that maybe is not going to be uh, attract national employers, but is going to be a great feeder university for employers in the area, those are going to be the first places to look. If you're looking for, you know, insert big name company, whether it be tech, retail, you know, entertainment, whatever, um, they may have certain universities that they target. But generally speaking, um, you want to start with first the company's website and then your university system to understand what's being posted. Okay, thanks for that information. Curious. Mm -hmm. um, Credit to the people. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, how did you get into your career field? Did you yeah. have for this? Like, does this type of role or career field uh, require someone to get a degree? Or yeah, this is, I will back up and say that I think of myself as First and foremost, an HR professional. Um, I just happen to be in a job title that's programming here. And so I think um, from my perspective, what is really important for people to do is think about um, the type of work they want to do because job titles change. I mean, if someone wanted to call me Princess of Chana in Chana Land and or Princess of Memphis, and I mean, that might be really distinct from what I actually do day to day. But um, I did go to college. I got a bachelor's degree in business. I specifically focused in management as my concentration. So I came out of undergrad and immediately started working in HR assistant roles. So I did that for a couple of years and then I moved into a recruiting role. And I've spent most of my career as a recruiter and that's what led me to my current employer. I came in as a recruiter. Um, and then as I was seeking to do slightly different things with my work, moved into a program management role, but still focused on the things that for me I'm really passionate about, which are early career talent and students. So after uh, college, how easy was it to get in to a role? So your recruiter role. 
since you started there first and then you kind of transitioned over to a program manager role. How easy was it? Did it take like years? Because I know sometimes people get a degree and then think that they're going to be doing a certain type of job and that does not work out that way. So I'm curious, was it easier to get into a recruiting role since you had your degree in business and then it just translated right? Or did it take a little while to get into that? Um, it took me, I think I was in my HR assistant role for about two years prior to moving into a recruiter role. And I will tell anyone, I, I graduated from college in 2009. And if you are not sure what happened in 2009, let me set the stage. In 2008, the banking economy collapsed. And um, as I was completing my internship that I thought was going to set me up to have all these great opportunities, the economy collapsed. Um, jobs literally started being pulled out of my career center's <laughs> website and just being pulled from pulled from posting sites. So I was very fortunate to get a job because I was networking and had a professor that kind of served as an advocate for me. And so I got a job as an HR assistant, which was in line with my HR degree. So that helped. It was a pretty linear path. Um, and my company at the time was big enough that there was HR assistant roles, recruiting roles, HR kind of policy the roles depending on where you are they call them different things and so based on kind of my interest I was able to move from an HR assistant role to a university recruiter role and I uh, eventually started to lead the university recruiting team for my company which was a small team it was a team of two and, and then additionally interns um, so I, I would say it took a couple of years and for some people right out of college um, recruiting is actually a pretty um, um, the entryway from college is not, the barrier to entry is not as high as some other roles. I would say it's probably more difficult to come out of college and be a program manager or like some places have like business developer roles. Those can be harder to come out, uh, out of college and go directly into with just background, like just an undergraduate degree. But a recruiter, because you can be a recruiter, um, you can be like a junior recruiter at some companies, you can be a university recruiter, which is often, they look for college students to do those roles. And um, also there's kind of these specialty recruiting firms that also look for uh, those that are interested in recruiting and sales. So I would say the barrier to entry for recruiting specifically is not as high as probably being a program manager, which I think takes a little bit more time to get into after college. I definitely agree. I'm also a program manager for people who don't know, but I was not always. It took some years being an executive assistant, taking on certain projects, and then once they thought that, okay, maybe she could be decent in a program manager role, then I was able to make the transition. So yeah, it takes a little while. Yeah, I think people look, they want to see a, a track record of success behind someone when they put you into a program manager position because usually you're overseeing something so i guess if you put you know go back to that first question what is it you're overseeing the execution of some strategic operation that's important to the business and so they're not always going to trust a college student to do that they may trust a college student to work with someone um, and be kind of a coordinator alongside a program manager but it takes a little bit of time to get um to get a to get the right experience for companies to believe you have that skill set they may not be right but it takes a lot of time it can take a lot of time. <laughs> yeah uh, so to, uh, Chano if someone is listening to you right now and they're like oh yeah what she does it sounds like something I'm interested in what type of job should someone be looking for or like applying for like what are some key words or phrases that you'll see in certain job descriptions that uh, will let the person know that they're applying for the right type of role so I, I think the 
good thing about being a program manager is almost all the jobs will say program manager. So you <laughs> now you might get held in a handbasket with this program manager job, but they do typically say program manager. And I think um, I kind of said I'm an HR professional first and foremost. So for me, I look for things that are related to talent acquisition. I look for things that are related to human resources. I look for things that are related to early career hiring, intern programs, as you mentioned, student programs, university programs. So for me, when I was, I didn't apply to the program manager role. It was kind of a natural progression um, based on how my team was restructuring. Um, I came out of a recruiter role. But with that said, um, I think when you're looking for opportunities, it's first, what are you trying to do and what are you passionate about working in? Um, that can sometimes be the start. Um, I see a lot of program manager roles for diversity and inclusion. I see a lot of program manager roles that are also very project and operations based. So I don't, I would tell anyone looking for program management, program manager roles that it's not always apples to apples. You can have a program manager role that's extremely operations focused, meaning that you're looking at how a process works from beginning to end. How will the process break? Are there, um, are there things in the process that could go wrong that would impact the customer or whatever the end user is? Um, what are the metrics behind it? And so it's not always just looking at one type of, one type of work or skill set rather. It's trying to figure out what it is that you like to do. Um, I would tell anyone like a highly operational program manager role that really wouldn't be my interest area. It would be too far removed from working with people and out of HR kind of intel acquisition processes. It wouldn't be something that really got me going. But for other people, they may be a program manager but have a career that goes across a lot of different industries because they're searching for that next really interesting project. And so um, if you're looking for project management work, if you're looking for work that says coordinators, if you're looking for things that have developer in the title, all of those things can sometimes be woven into a more general program manager depending on what the uh, actual role is. Yes. Yes, yes, and yes to all those things. I'm on the opposite spectrum of you then, Chana, because what I do is more process driven. Well, it was when I first came into the role, like creating processes for a team that literally had shit all over the place. Like, yeah. And I like that. I like putting stuff like structured, which you already know. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so yes. I, the, program management uh, spans a lot of different things. It can mean a lot of different things that insert tech company, um, I don't know, there could be a hundred different roles that are considered program manager roles and you're doing something completely different in all of them, so. Apps, apps, yes, all the things, absolutely. I mean, it really is a very vast profession. And so you, when, I, I would say someone shouldn't necessarily search for being a program manager, because again, like I can go name a job program manager and it has nothing to do with what someone is interested in. I always like search for the work you want to do, the area that you want to work in, what are the problems you're trying to solve, and then you'll find program manager work aligned to that. But yeah, if someone told me to go do process all day, the way you described, I'd be like, all right, I got to cut this. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Chana, what does a day in the life kind of look like for you as this program manager? Yeah, that's always a hard question because I'm never good about saying, you know, this is how I blocked out my day. But um, if I were to take a piece of my role, let me, t I mentioned I do manager experience, but also do intern offboarding. And so that's when we have 
no high volume of internet exiting any given week. I'm making sure, do I know how many interns are leaving this week? Have they um, been assessed for a full-time offer or a return offer if they're not going to graduate soon? Because that's a part of my company's uh, strategic value for interns. They want to assess them for other roles. So how many are exiting? Have they been assessed for an offer? Do, do their managers understand what they need to be assessed for an offer? Do they have the right criteria? Um, what are the metrics of success? So if I think about building a program, you're thinking about what are the metrics or success? What are the things you need to get there? What are the things in place? And when you're in it, when you're out of the building phase, you're in the implementation phase and it's kind of steady state, you're watching for, your day is consumed by what are the things that may be breaking the process? What are the problems that you're noticing that may not be big, but you can kind of create something to solve. Maybe you didn't anticipate it. And so you need to create a solution in, in the moment to make sure that it doesn't impact a lot of people. Maybe you're getting customer feedback in real time, so you're adjusting to that. Um, I could be dealing with customers, and for me, customers are managers or interns. I could be working with business leaders who have questions about the process or want to already have feedback about how the process could be improved. So I think for me, it's, it's uh, harder for me to talk about a day on the phases of there's a phase where you're building something out. There's a phase where you're testing it to make sure it works. You know, there's a phase where you're implementing it and hopefully it's going as the way you planned. And then once you get past that implementation phase, you're really in that watching it, tracking it, making sure that it's working the way you need it to, because eventually the process is going to end and, the, and you're kind of starting all over again to say what worked, what didn't, and what can you improve for the next time. Right. So do your days consist of a lot of meetings? Um, I'm curious. Oh my gosh. Yes. What industry segment? I wonder if it differs. How many meetings you have to sit in versus not? Like, so for me, our team has a lot of meetings, but more of our senior product managers have to sit in on some of these meetings where I can just skip out on them. Yeah. You, within the intern programs, do you have a lot of meetings that you sit in? How much of your week is allotted to meetings? <laughs> um, I would say at a minimum, 25% to a third of my time is dedicated to meetings. Um, especially because we had a virtual internship program this year and we had to decide that we decided to do that fairly quickly, which meant that a lot of the plans that we had had to go out the door because we had to build, create brand new plans. So um, at minimum, I'm probably going to have three meetings a day. They might be, you know, two 30 minute meetings and one hour long meeting, but that's about right where I'm having at least three meetings a day. Some weeks is more than that. I think it's interesting you talk about, um, for you, the product managers may be going to the meetings and not you. Um, because we are still within a human resources org and we're focused on people and not necessarily launching a product, um, that often means that we're not resourced in the same way. So we do have a product team. They're focused on helping us get tools to remove some of the really manual processes in our work. But with that said, most meetings, if it's related to an intern, I have to be there because it's a small team of, uh, I think right now, four people that are managing the experience um, for North America in connection with our partners globally. So if it's related to interns or products, even if it's not necessarily manager experience or offboarding, which is my specific scope, I'm generally involved because you have to think of everyone kind of in the cycle and who, who can be impacted and just having one person from the meeting uh, may not get you all the right voices in the room. 
Um, and then often you're involved, I'm sure this happens with you, side projects. So it's not really defined in your work scope, but <laughs> here you are doing this thing that you didn't really plan to do. And I would say anyone in a program manager role is going to have these projects where you're like, how did this end up in my lap? Um, and so you're meeting about these other projects with stakeholders that may not even be engaged, or maybe they are in your primary work uh, duties to get that off the, you know, off the ground too. So absolutely, probably just so many meetings, definitely a quarter to a third of the time. Right, I would say, yeah, probably a third of my time is something from an additional project that is being worked on or some kind of pilot that they're trying to <laughs> <laughs> and it's like oh my gosh but yeah so trying to what do you like most about what you do and what do you like the least hmm. um I really like the idea phase so I like the collaboration that comes with being a program manager so you get a, especially in my company um but I think this is true in tech in general you get a lot of feedback all the time uh, customers, whoever your customer is, whether they're an external customer or internal customer, they're ready to tell you that something doesn't work and why. Um, and so if you don't have the stomach for feedback, you're just going to be defensive and frustrated all day. <laughs> so um, I have really, and I would say this is something I learned since being in my company more so than prior to joining, but I've just learned to take the feedback for what it is and say, okay, well, let's see how we can fix that. Sometimes it's a no, it's not, that's not how we work, that's not how we're going to uh, implement a process, but a lot of times it's, oh, this actually makes a lot of sense, this is really good insight. And so I really like meeting with my stakeholders, yours, and some, often my customers too, and understanding what are the problems that you're trying to attack and trying to figure out the really creative ways and just kind of working out with them, okay, this works, this doesn't, this meets the needs, this doesn't. I love that part of the process. Um, the part of program management that's the core function that really can stress me out sometimes is it, it can be draining to sit there and just look at a bunch of process docs. I mean, some pe people really just love to make that process flow. Like they can't wait to get in that visio. They want to put up those big bubbles and they want to map it and they cannot wait to do it. And I'm like, all right, so it's done. And like, how can I get out of this mapping phase so I can get to the doing phase? And I think, um, like, I I'm just a doer by nature. And a lot of times being a program manager is taking a step back and being like, actually, I don't need to do this piece. I need to make sure the right people can do these pieces so I can focus on another part of the program. Uh, but I, I love the stakeholder piece. I, I wanna be in a room, I wanna be talking to people, I wanna get interesting insights. I wanna think about how we can attack it. And then in a perfect world, somebody else would <laughs> handle like, all the nitty-gritty of the process details right so you like being the innovator the, the creative and you like to pass it off to the more analytical people is what it sounds like the process people yeah and i do like data so it's not a matter of like just like the passing off the analytics so i i would say um there's some people that you know they think of these huge big crazy ideas and they're just like spilling with ideas all the time i'm not going to describe myself as I think I'm somewhere in the middle of like, I see where something can go and I want to be the bridge between those huge ideas and the people that are so deep and connected to the process that you're like, okay, how can, how can we marry the two? That's where I really feel like I have strength in kind of putting those two places together. 
but yeah, if it's uh, looking at SOPs all day, no, thank you. Um, which, which is often, which is often a big component of the job. So it's not that I can't do it or won't do it. It's just it's not my part. Right. So my next question for you was like, oh, is there group opportunities within like this career field? Yes, there. Yes. I think we already touched on it since there's so many different types of program managers. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think trying to, after a certain amount of time within a program manager role, though, like someone maybe would want to break off into something else. Like, what do you think would be the easiest transition if you were done being a program manager and wanted to move somewhere else, do something different, but still take your skill set with you? That's an interesting question because um, I think a program manager, like I, I feel like it's one of those roles where if you're someone that's chasing interesting problems and not necessarily titles, you could be a program manager forever because right. you can always find an interesting problem to solve or problem that you hadn't encountered before as part of the, a business or an industry that you've not worked in. For my career, I've worked in university recruiting almost exclusively with the exception of the time I spent as an HR assistant and sometime I spent uh, supporting other type of industry recruiting roles. So while I'm a program manager, I'm very connected to that space. If I wanted to say pick up and be a program manager that now works in operations, um, poor insert big name company, <laughs> uh, or I was like, I'm just going to go work, I don't know, um, on development of launching a product or a tool, that's going to use a completely different set of skills. It's going to have a completely different type of need. I'm still a program manager. Right. Um, some of that is growing, uh, not out of necessarily the program manager role, but looking at your career trajectory, trajectory, excuse me, up. So now it's not program managing for a specific scope of work, but maybe you're a director managing different program managers. So you have a scope now that comprehensive and you're looking at how are these many programs within your scope of work aligning who are the people that are actually executing it for you um so i i think there's it just really depends on the problem that you want to solve but i don't think you have to stop being a program manager right. i think what you end up doing is finding more complex and more expansive work okay so trying what how should I phrase this? Like, can you give us an example of a time where you've run into challenges at work and you know it had nothing at all to do with like your intellect or ability to do the job and more about you just being a melanated woman or or one of the two, a woman or a black woman on top of that? And how mm. navigate those kind of spaces? Huh. So this is not at my current company, but I had um, my previous employer, I'd been in my company for a while. I had a really good reputation rapport. I knew I could get things done. We got a new senior leader um, and he was an asshole. <laughs> and that's just the best way to put it. Um, he would disrespect me consistently. So you know, we schedule a meeting, he'd not show up for the meeting. I'd be sitting in his office with his EA, like physically sitting in an office with his EA, waiting for him to show up, um, canceling meetings all the time, you know, dismissive. And what I realized is the workforce I was in prior to this was a, 
um, heavy PhD workforce. So not only was I dealing with the barrier of like, I'm a black woman, I'm also dealing with someone who values intellect purely as if they don't have a PhD or accelerated degrees, it's really not, you know, it's not worth my time to really engage. Like who, who is this person from recruiting, talking to me about X, Y, Z, they're not important. And so I literally one time followed him out of his office. Like <laughs> I saw, I knew he was in a meeting with someone else who happened to be a peer, or like a peer and a colleague. And I just kind of walked around and poked my head in. Yeah. Like I'm over here. Um, and I just had to constantly reassert myself because this man <laughs> had no intention of giving me the respect that I deserve, frankly, from being a colleague, but mm -hmm. also because I had earned trust of, you know, those I was supporting from a, from a recruiting perspective, and he should have been valuing that. Um, I think it comes up in the workplace all the time, and it can show up in different ways. Sometimes it's people telling you, um, no, you're not understanding what I'm saying, when you're giving a point of view that's different. Right. And um, it feels, you know, when you hear that from the person saying it, like, no, we're all in this, we're all in the meeting. And yes, misunderstandings absolutely happen all the time. But I understood perfectly what you just said. Right. He didn't like my response. He right. didn't like that I, re I responded to it strongly. That I told, I think in one meeting, I, I literally used the words, I'm having a strong response to this. Um, X, Y, for X, Y, Z reasons. And so, you know, immediately after that particular meeting, I had to call a family member and say, hey, was I, like, I, check me here. What, was I wrong? Did, like, this is my interpretation of what happened. What would you have done? Because you don't know sometimes, are you being pegged as being overly aggressive as a woman, right. being an angry black woman, specifically right. black women? You know, you can just come off in different ways. So I think it, it is constant, and sometimes it shows up in ways that feel really obvious, and sometimes it shows up in ways that it's like, literally, my manager is going out for beers with people, but they've never invited me to beer. Right. What is that about? It can, be, it can be the full range, really subtle and really obvious. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hear you. I I have a few of those, as you also Yeah. <laughs> it happens all the time. And um for those who watch this, the best way to confront it and one, identify this is talk to other black women. And it doesn't have to be black women you work with or other women of color. Just talk to them because I guarantee you they're having the same experience and you kind of feel, you're like, am I crazy? <laughs> you what? know, when it happens, you're like, is this me? I'm tripping, you know, it must be, I don't want to be too sensitive. And no, it's usually not you. Um, usually there's something happening and you're responding to it and, and you know what's up. Just like with racism, like, you know what's up when it's, a woman. <laughs> when it's <laughs> like, you know what's up. So pay attention to that sense and just kind of engage with other women to help you figure out what it is you're responding to. I agree. I think it's actually a huge, like a big part of me being able to even stay in corporate America is having like a community. Um, because without it, like a community at work of women of color, because if I didn't, I'd probably be out of there a long time ago. You need some kind of support system, especially when you get stuck in situations where you end up sadly not having a manager that's advocating for you. So then that makes it like double hard dealing with people like the guy that you explain and then you could escalate or talk to your manager about it, and then it kind of just gets brushed off so definitely yeah. your surrounding yeah. community you are not alone that is for sure 
a lot of times I think people will tell you to fix the problem. Um, and yes, we are strong women, we're professional women, we're grooming ourselves to be, uh, you know, in the places we want. But you cannot solve, you know, it, it is not always in my scope or in my, my ability to solve blatant disrespect to someone else. Um, you have to pull the levers that are your resources. And so when your manager's unsupportive, you kind of left there like, what do I do? And I was lucky in some regards that when I was dealing with this asshole of a leader, my managers were supportive, but they often would say, well, you know, just approach it differently. And sometimes approaching differently is not going to get you, it's, it's going to end up with the same result. Right. Um, sometimes approach it differently is, no, you need to go approach it. Mm -hmm. And so advocating for yourself is something I've learned that you have to do too. You have to be able to vocalize, you know, this needs to be addressed in a different way and it no longer can be uh, successfully addressed by me. Right, right. I agree. So Trona, let's get into this money though. What is, mm, the earning potential? <laughs> what is the earning potential for a program manager? And let's just say within your space, because like we said, there's hundreds of program managers. You don't have to say you're paid, but like yeah. say coming in the first three to five years, like base, what can somebody guarantee that they should be taking home? And we ain't about to play games like, oh, well, you know, it could just be anything. Like, we need a minimum. Is somebody going to at least yeah. be making fifty, sixty thousand dollars I was going to start with, I was going to start with sixty. Um, now, I did not properly research this question to you. So I'm going <laughs> 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 to not do my homework for this particular question. Uh, but yeah, I would say sixty. But Here's the thing, and this is like when I use a, my HR hat. What you make is going to be dependent on many factors. It's going to be dependent on your experience. One, it's going to be dependent on your location because often what's baked into compensation is where you located. When I lived in Tennessee, I did not make, although I'm back home now because virtual, but I did not make from a compensation perspective what I make in Seattle because Seattle is a more expensive city. The cost of living is different. The same would be the case if I were to go to New York, that's going to be different. So think about when, you, when people start talking to you in ranges or breaking down what is that range? Like what's the experience? What's the role and level of the job? Um, where is it located? Those things should play into compensation. What should not play into compensation is your previous company. And you should make sure that when you're talking to employers and they're asking you about your ranges, it's not because you may X, Y, Z. Because it frankly could be that the job that you're seeking could be above or below um, based on the role and the location and all those other things. Um, but you want to base it on the criteria for the role itself and, this, and definitely in the location that you're in and not necessarily on your, on your current salary. Right. Something else I want to add too, and I don't know if this applies to all states, but if you're in Seattle and a recruiter asks you what your pay is, don't tell them or inflate the number because they're not supposed to be asking people what their compensation was at their previous company or where they currently work before taking you in over to their company. And if you give that information, it's something that they can now use. So even if they didn't ask, but they're, you know, asking you questions around compensation and you say, oh, well, actually I make so-and-so right now. Like, don't do that because now they can take a note of it, even though they never asked for the information. Um, it'll bite you in the butt. Or if you told them some information like, oh, I make 
X, Y, and Z, but the range, you could have made twenty, thirty thousand dollars more than that. But now they're thinking, okay, this person is okay with X amount of money because they just told us how much they make. You just lost some money there. A lot of money sometimes it can be that you could lose. So in, in yeah. the state of Washington, they're not supposed to be asking. And by law, they shouldn't be asking. But in general, I wouldn't tell anyone my pay <laughs> because you might end up missing out on some money that they were going to give you, just assuming that you made more. But then if you told them, they're like, oh, well, actually, we can give them only $5,000 more than what they make right now, and they'll be happy and they'll come over when it could have been like 15000 so. Yeah. Oh, plus one. Plus one on that. Know, know, know how that law applies in your state. Generally, HR best practice, um, a lot of states are moving to making that illegal to ask someone's previous um, pay, but it differs by state. So it's really important that as someone seeking employment, that wherever you're looking, you're being really careful of how the recruiter is asking those questions. And recruiters are crafty. So they know how to ask that question and let you talk um, and get it out of you. Exactly. Okay, so trying to, we're getting to the end, but mm -hmm. I would like to know what tip would you give like a younger you or maybe someone who's younger who's watching this who's like in college and they're still trying to figure out like where they want to go with some stuff, but they sound like they're interested in becoming a program manager. Uh, what do you know yeah. some information you think you would have benefited from a few years ago first coming into this career field? Yeah, um, I would say a lot of people feel like they're organized and you probably are. That doesn't mean you get how to set milestones and deadlines to deliver against and get others to deliver against them. And for me, as a, re as a recruiter that became a program manager, that was the hardest thing. Uh, because as a recruiter, it was really clear what I needed to do every week. I'm looking at so many candidates, I'm pushing them through the process. As a program manager, you know what success looks like, but maybe no one's done it before. And it really is up to you to figure out what you need to get done and get other people to do it. And so leading by influence is huge. Um, and everyone you work with is, um, some of them are going to be leaders. So some of them are gonna be people above you that you're managing to get something done. And you can't just lean in on, well, you know, I'm in this role, so they're gonna do it. No, they're not gonna do it. People love to ignore work that they don't wanna do. Um, so I think like learning how to influence others, regardless if they're someone that's at your level, someone that's supporting you or someone that's above you is a skill set you can start building early. You don't have to get a training to learn how to do that. That's a, that's a soft skill, but a super important skill if you want to be a program manager because your job is to get whatever it is over the line. And you cannot do that without other people doing their part. And those other people may not be a part of your team. They may not report to your manager. It really is for you to get it done. In general, I would just tell a younger me to be authentic and demanding in the workspace. And I don't mean that to say you're being rough in the workspace. What I mean by that is people respect what you allow them to respect sometimes. Now, we've talked about how they can come at you all kind of sideways because you're a black woman. But um, for the most part, people allow what you let them to allow uh, or what you, uh, you know, what you let them do. And so really think about how you want your work atmosphere to look. Really think about the hours you want to take on. Really think about 
extra work that sometimes people just ask you to help and next thing you know you're just doing another job that happens all the time and I think it especially happens with women oh can you help me with this sure no no big deal and next thing you know you're doing that work and your work they're constantly coming to you with questions that could have been theirs like think about how you want to show up in the workplace and I don't think that has anything to do with being a program manager specifically as much as it has to do with being successful and happy at work in the long term and having the boundaries that you want to operate within as a professional. Um, but especially as a program manager, when you are responsible for shepherding some type of initiative from start to finish, if you're not clear on what you're going to do and what others need to do and support, it makes it really easy to just get buried in work. Right. And you can burn out super quick. I don't know. You can burn out super quick. But insert big tech company you can be burnt out within a year in certain roles. Right. Because you take on too much, you say, oh, yes, yeah, well, I just want to be nice, you know, so then I can build rapport with people. Well, sometimes being nice to everybody and saying yes to everybody and doing everybody's work is not actually building rapport. It's actually making you a doormat. And people, I feel like when I see people in that sense, they don't actually get acknowledged for all the work that they're doing. Like it kind of goes by the wayside because they're used to you being the yes person. And when you're always the yes person, you kind of take away time where you could be doing something that's very impactful because now you have all this other shit over here that you have to do too. So it takes away from mm -hmm. that you could be making on the team and actually progressing or succeeding or getting the next promotion faster. If you are wor working on your stuff, and being very succinct about how you're doing things. Um, so I agree. I agree, Chana. It's a hard lesson. Yeah. And, and it's like a continuous lesson. Like I'm, I'm still learning that lesson. So it doesn't mean that you're gonna, not going to mess up just because you're learning, you're figuring it out. But once you do figure it out, you're like, mm, in my stride, I got it. Right. Oh, and also they'll work you to death. So just because you're saying yes to everything, once you become a salary employee, if you say yes, you have all this shit, you can be working around the clock. So also be aware of how you want your home and your work-life balance stuff to be because it can become a situation where work-life balance is, is non-existent if you are always the yes person. Let me tell you, as someone who started their career is non-exempt and many people do, um, it, it is a beauty in, in the sense that it's a very clear and defined guideline on when you have to stop work. Yeah. Um, and so I would say coming out of that, especially when you're early career, especially if you're transitioning from one role to the other, uh, where maybe you're doing more admin type of work and you're transitioning to something like a program manager, you now have to define that for yourself. And companies will give whatever, you, like they will take whatever you give. No one is going to, no one is going to tell you to stop working it's i'd love to say companies like no they're not they're gonna take it you're you're sending out emails on the weekend they're gonna take they're gonna respond to you on monday <laughs> and then they're gonna send you emails on the weekend ready for you to respond because that's something you've been doing so like truly figure out what your boundaries are and it's okay if they change um but you have to figure out what you want them to be for people to operate within them damn right don't don't be sending out them emails on the weekend because it's hard lesson hard lesson <laughs> like oh china's up at 2 a.m okay i can send her email anytime of the day like no and let it, yeah and when you don't someone's like oh i sent you this didn't you see it oh you didn't you're usually <laughs> working on the weekend you're usually working at 10 p.m 
I have literally used uh, Outlook delay messages. Good. So, so if I'm working late, people are not necessarily seeing the timestamps and emails going through. Exactly. I don't want that. I don't want that expectation set. So it doesn't mean that you're not doing it to get your job done, but it really is do, you're doing what you need to do to protect the peace. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. So, Trina, last question. What mm-hmm. is it you can give someone younger you or a college student that's watching right now or a woman who is like, I'm ready to change career fields and I think I want to do this now. How do they go into a program manager role and kill it from day one? Kill it. Mm. Like what was something you weren't doing a couple years ago because you were holding yourself back, but now you're like, I should have been doing that shit. Like how can they kill it from day one? I did not prepare for that one. You got to know what's above and below the line. And what I mean by that is you're going to have, like there, someone's going to tell you what the goal is. The goal or the objective is X, Y, Z. And you've done the idea phase and whatever. You have to understand what's for you to do and what's for someone else to help you do. Um, someone said, to, said in a meeting, as a program manager, the less you're actually doing, the more effective you are. And I was like, whatever but it's true because if you are trying to do every part of the process and as a doer this I fall into this trap all the time because I love a task it won't work (laughs) it just won't work because one person can't physically do everything and especially as an early career when you are getting this work I think as a program manager but just in general your inclination is to say yes to show what your ethic is And you don't know what to cut to say, I just can't do that and be impactful. I just can't do that to get to the right level of success, to get to the right metric, to get to, to, get to where this needs to go, to not just be done, but be done really well. Right. And so figure out what is above and below the line. And people will tell you everything is above the line, but everything is not. <laughs> they, always they always will tell you everything. They will tell you all of these things are important. And then one day you're like, well, hold up. She didn't do, you gave me a list of 10. I did nine of 10. She over here with six, six of 10 things. Yeah. Cause those other four weren't important. Right. But they're not going to tell you they're not important. So figure out what is above and below the line. Right. And if it's not cutting China, maybe it's what is important right now what actually needs to be done right now what is actually urgent and what can wait so you're not cutting it or uh, delegating it down to someone else but you just know that you can do it later yeah absolutely everything even though they'll tell you it is everything yeah yeah and again still learning all these lessons these are not lessons that's like you master things like you're like sometimes things click or you're like remember you learned that lesson it was really hard a year and a half ago learn it again mm-hmm. sometimes you gotta revisit mm-hmm. so china thank you for your time oh you know what i what? Would, uh, make sure i put this at the end of all of these melanated series videos because I watch this lady all the time, Lisa Nichols. This is black lady who's like a, a inspirational speaker. And I was like looking up stuff on how to pick a career, 
how do you choose your career? And she was saying that there are three questions person who's looking to choose a career or make a career change, they should ask themselves. And it's, what am I good at? What do people tell me I'm good at? And what's holding me back? And if you can answer all these things and kind of make them align, what overlaps what you're good at and what people tell you're good at, because sometimes you may think you're good at something or you won't think you're good at something, but you hear from five different people that, oh, you're, I feel like you're really good at this. Then you're like, oh, well, maybe I should be doing something that I don't even know is an innate talent I already have and go with that. So yeah, what am I good at? What do people tell me I'm good at? What's holding me back? If you can answer them three questions, then you should be able to jump into whatever career field it is you are looking to go into. Those are three. Those are great questions. And I, I don't know Lisa Nichols, but now I'm about to go look Lisa up so I can get some more, so I can get some nuggets, so I can get some insights. Um, careers are a journey and I'm a pretty linear thinker. So I'm like, you do A, then you go to B, maybe you skip C, but you're going to get to D next. And there's people who have really interesting careers to go all over the place. Uh, and I think it's because they're able to answer those three questions. So I, I really think it's like super critical. You just know what you're trying to go after. Um, and don't let, don't let the fear of something you don't know what it is keep you from trying it. Right. Well, Chana, thank you for enlightening us on your role, what you do. Um, and yeah, yeah, it was great. I think this, this was fun. It's informative. This is a good, this is, how many of these are you doing? 12. 12. Yo, you can drop like one a week and you got three months of content. Look, you better build some content program manager. <laughs> hey you, thanks for tuning in to the Melanated Scenes podcast. Hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. In the meantime, hit that subscribe button and I'll catch you on the next one.